Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, the talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. I'm Neil Haley. Check me out at Total Tutor, and I'm so excited to have my guest on the line. Uh, Wanda, are you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm so excited to welcome the program. Wanda Durant, her son is Kevin Durant, one of my favorite basketball players. I love watching him in the NBA, and she's talking about today the real MVP, the Wanda Durant story that will be on May 7th, 8 p.m. Eastern on Lifetime. Wanda, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. You know, when you think about when – did you always think that Kevin was going to be that successful? Is that something you said to yourself, I know it's going to happen, like when you were young and said, I know he can do it? Is there something special about him that you knew from an early age? Well, of course, I always thought he was special, but when it came to basketball, the thing that I uh, focused on, I I think my focus was in intervals. Um, I focused on him playing uh, youth ball, AAU ball, and that was the focus. And then when it came to life that he could uh, receive the scholarships to high school, that became the focus. And so I had to keep my focus a little limited. I wouldn't allow myself to think and and terms of the NBA too soon, and actually I really didn't think about it until his uh, freshman year at college because I knew if, if I skewed my focus, then his focus would be skewed. And so, but that could, because his coach taught me that there was a process to um, possibly having the opportunity to go to the NBA, and, and that's what he taught me. You just you got to keep his focus for the time that he's in, and if he's able to make it to the next level, then. Um, uh, we'll deal focus on it then, and that's where we kept his focus. Oh, and you definitely kept his focus to where he is today. Now, when people approached you about your story, were you a little hesitant yeah. to share it when first when you were first approached about it? Well, at first I was excited about it, but then there were aspects, and some of them come out in the movie, that, that was a little difficult to share, but I felt it important because I wanted the – authenticity to be there, and I wanted to um, resonate with so many people, and I think the way to do that is to be honest about who you are and and the things that you've gone through, and and so that's what I wanted in the movie, but it was a little difficult. Because then you're seeing your story on uh, and watching it and saying, oh my gosh, this is me in real life, and did I offend people when I talked about specific things that happened in my life, and uh, and with Kevin and all these things, and then you said, but the story had to be told, right, Juan? That sounds like. Yes, it has to be told because I I, I know um, as a motivational speaker um, um, that there are a lot of young single moms um, feeling the same way that I felt, experiencing um, some times when they want to quit, and I felt Im- important um, to talk to them and to speak to them. Uh, because they will understand more so than those who are more critical about the things that I've shared that you can't give up. Because there were times when I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up on myself, and doing that I would have given up on my children. And either one of my sons would have known the future that they have now if I would have quit. And and so that's that's why I, um, I wanted to tell this story. Is Kevin happy for you that you're going out being a motivational speaker and helping uh, single mothers and stuff to get through certain things? Is that something that Kevin's happy that you're going and increasing your brand as well to help others? Yes, and what is, 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 is the, the specifics of what I'm doing um, for me is not so much the, uh, the uh, what's making him proud. What's making him proud is that I'm, I'm focusing on me now, um, he wants me to enjoy my life, and he knows that I am a passionate person, and 
He believes that um, this is my pur- my purpose, and so he's very supportive, and he encouraged me to, to live out my dreams just like I've encouraged him to live out his dreams. Oh, I'm so excited to hear all those different things. And then have you gotten a chance to watch the whole the whole uh the viewing of the film the of the of the story and everything? Did you get to watch the whole yes, thing I after? Have. Yeah. And yes. were you happy with the final product? Yes, I was extremely happy with it, yes. Um the production company in Lifetime, um Queen Latifah and uh Flavor Unit, her production company in Lifetime. It was, it was a wonderful collaborative effort and, and we all are pleased with the story, and, and I'm, I'm happy that it's come out, and I like it, and, and I can't wait to um, um, see go to the premiere tomorrow um, in New York, and it's being hosted by Queen Latifah, so it's going to be exciting. Wow, and, and did, were you on set during the, the, the whole filming of this, or were you asked at certain times to come? How, how did that work out? Well, I, I, no, I wasn't on set the entire time. Um, I spent a few days on set, and it was a little emotional for me um, seeing my life story and, and and seeing young men playing my sons, and so that was quite nice, but uh, just a few days. Yeah, the sacrifice that you had to go through unfolds again Saturday, May 7th at 8 p.m. Eastern. You're going to see the ups and downs of and a mother's love leading to the success of you, Kevin, and your family. Best place we can find information on you, Wanda, and stuff. Where can we go? At mamadurant.com, and there are links to my social media. So follow me to that's M-A-M-A-D-U-R-A-N-T.com, and um, you can click the links to my social media and stay connected with me. Yep, and I'm sure you're busy now. You're doing the premiere. You're, you're checking out what's going on with the Thunder during the playoff season. So you have a busy, busy time right now going from one place to the other. So I, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you, and you have a great day. Oh, you too. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show. We'll be back. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at Total Tutor. And I'm so excited to welcome the program to the program Emmy Award-winning actress Carrie Preston of NBC's Crowded. Carrie, thanks for calling, and how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Carrie. One question: How is it, how does it feel to be an Emmy Award-winning actress? That feels pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that when you're a little girl, you don't even dare dream about, you know, and then it happens and, you you know, you still kind of can't believe it. I mean, even though it's been you know, almost three years, it's like, oh, my God, this is uh, this is still something that someone says. Like, even when you just said that right now, I, I thought, oh, God, that, that's true. That's right. That's right. I did win one of those at one point. <laughs> No, what's what's interesting, Carrie, about that is you know when you when that just changes things when you audition, it changes the landscape completely. Here's this here's my resume and my I'm an Emmy Award winner. Okay, well we'll make yeah. you put you in a certain part of the line, and as you've seen, continuing to have unbelievable uh, opportunities. And now with NBC's Crowded, I watched the show before, really enjoyed it because of some of the people I already know. It kind of makes it a great storyline, and some of the people you already know, so you know it's going to be funny right off the bat, especially with your your husband and on the show. Yeah. He's, uh, he's mm-hmm. hilarious, sure. Yeah, he's hilarious, and he's such a vet doing the sitcoms, you know, that's his that's his thing, and he's been doing it for so long. And I think people are really used to seeing him in that genre, and he just uh, is a great, great um, partner and a great, you know, cast leader, and he's just, he's wonderful. I really, really enjoy working with him. Absolutely. So tell us about your character, Martina, and uh, the, the the premise of your, your role on the show. Uh, so I play... Uh, Patrick Warburton's wife, Martina Moore, and the two of us have, you know, at the very beginning of the series, we're, we're devastated because our, our grown daughters have finally flown the coop, and we're just, oh, my God, looking into the chasm of the empty nest. And then, you know, the next scene, it's four years later, and we're partying, we're drinking wine, we're smoking pot, we're having a great time in our empty nest, and then ding-dong, both the daughters move back in. So... It's crowded for sure, and um, the, the, his parents live next door, and they come over every day. And so uh, it's really about Mike and Martina trying to get back to their 
you know, the, the, the sort of freedom they found with the, with the empty nest. And, and my character is, is a really, you know, she's really fun to play. She's like, you know, she's a therapist, but she's kind of nutty herself, you know, and <clears throat> she, uh, she really wants to, you know, help therapize everybody in the family. So yeah. um, sometimes she's good at it, sometimes not so good. But, um, you know, I think she kind of grounds, grounds the show. Um, and it's, it's, and it's really fun to, 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 you know, be a, a female lead. Cause I've always been, you know, the, the, the supporting character, the, the one that comes in and, you know, uh, has, yeah. has three or four scenes an episode, you know, and then this one is, you know, I'm there all the time and, and I'm really, you know, enjoying that responsibility. See, that's an interesting point to talk about. Is, again, you were really good in, in, in roles that you said, certain scenes, but not the main, main character, even though you've dominated when you had those opportunities in those other roles, as we know from the Emmy and also some of the other things, how you're really known for your characters. But playing yeah. this character, have you done comedy before, Terry? Is this something new to you in this kind of a role? Comedy. No, not at all. I mean, I started off, um, you know, when it when I first um, when I first started going out to LA, I was I was doing comedies a lot. Um, I was I would do comedic movies. I mean, my first movie was My Best Friend's Wedding, and you know, I would do I would every almost every season I would do a, a pilot for a sitcom or I'd guest star on a sitcom. I was even on a a sitcom. Uh, I think it was, was two thousand maybe um, called Emerald, and it was. It was a oh, sitcom yeah. based around the chef Emeril Lagasse. So um, we shot maybe 11 or 12 episodes of that. And, you know, so that was sort of my thing. And then they people started not making them for a while. You know, they, there just weren't as many of the multi-camera sitcoms. And, um, and then I, you know, just started getting into the single camera stuff and, uh, you know, got on True Blood seven years, and you know, I'm recurring on very many of these other dramas. But a lot of the time in these dramas, I I'm the, the one who you know gets trusted with the comedic roles, even in the drama. Like, you know, True Blood, my character was you know had a lot of had a lot of comedy to her, and certainly um, the character on The Good Wife. I mean, she is she is adds some levity to to those proceedings. Interesting. So you were ready for this, and now full fledged in, in this role, and say, okay, I'm not getting off set now. I'm staying on set. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. next role. Yeah. Okay, it's me. Yeah. It's all about me. So yeah. when I'm on Twitter, I'm yeah. promoting. Make sure you watch well, the whole definitely... story about me today. You know. Yeah, it's an ensemble, and you know when you do these um, when you do these multi camera shows, you know they, you do have an audience, so you are you know rehearsing it in, in essence in preparation for that. So you, you don't shoot anything until you have that audience there, which is very different from, you know, the, the single camera work when you're, the, you know, you step foot on, on set and the cameras are rolling, you know, and they're capturing everything and it takes you however many, eight, 10 days, or if you're on True Blood, 21 days or whatever it is to, to complete an episode. And with Crowded, you know, we rehearse it about four days and, and the hours aren't even that long, and then there's the audience, and you do it all in one night. So it is it is a completely different experience, but it it really appeals to me as a as a theater person because I did start off yeah in the theater. So it and is that, fun to that, get back in front of an audience experience because you have to really ad lib in times, and you have to you perform for the audience, not just the television cameras, and it's it's a definitely different thing. I like the fact about the stories again. Just imagine being right across from your in-laws or your parents. That's challenging mm-hmm. to begin with. And for, oh, finally our kids are gone. A lot of people They're can back. relate to this, especially with the Gen Xers that are, or I mean the, the millennials are still in parents' basements and they, they graduate and they're still back and they never leave. So a lot of different uh, storylines and things and a, a great cast for sure. Best place we can find information on you, Carrie. Again, NBC's Crowded Sundays at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Central. But it's, where can we find information on you, Carrie? Uh, CarriePreston.com. Awesome. And you have Twitter as well, Carrie? Yep, at Carrie Preston. And my Instagram is at Carrie Preston. So, yeah. And I have an official Carrie Preston on Facebook. So, look me up. I'm very active on social. So, and I interact with people all the time, so. I think True Blood talks that, right? 
True Blood definitely yes, taught you exactly. that. Yeah, when definitely. you have a different platform and an opportunity and you've been on for so long, you know that's where the, the cult fans go crazy. But, uh, Terry, thanks again mm-hmm. for calling. Best of luck with the show, and uh, hope to chat with you another time. Take care. It's so nice to talk to you. Thank you. Take care, Carrie. See ya. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Total Celebrity Show. We'll be back. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at Total Tutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Total Tutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, Google Plus, also on Periscope, at Total Tutor. Check me out now at neilhaley.com. It's not completely live yet, but the website looks tremendous. I've been waiting some time, but it's worth the wait. All the shows soon are going to be Able, available there. The newest ones with bios on our guests and things like that. We're waiting on our guests to call on the line. Uh, they, and, and Netflix, Netflix uh, original comedy special, Baby Cobra, and, and Ali Wong is. We're waiting on her calling the program. You can check me out all these different places. As when she gets on, I'm going to have a fun conversation because if I've dealt with uh, certain things, but I, I do. Uh, my producer does think our guest is on the line, so I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity from the Netflix original comedy special, Baby Cobra, Ali Wong. Ali, thanks for calling, and how are you? Hi, good. It's good to be here. Well, you know, I just had a, a, a I have a six month old baby who's wailing in the other room, so I'm, I'm actually not so good. Let's be real here. But, you know, that's how it is being a new mom. Absolutely. And the, I guess the brand, i got to ask you how this brand started. You were in comedy before this, right, before the whole pregnancy uh, uh, comedy schedule. Oh, yeah. Just, I just been doing jump in for, like, all for that. 11 yeah. years. But you found yeah, the right brand, right? <laughs> Which is what? You found the right brand for that time and special for the especially for this Netflix original comedy to be pregnant during uh, to do lots of talks about the comedy about pregnancy, right, Allie? That was how did that come yeah, about? about not, yeah, yeah. Although it's funny because like in the special, because you know it's my first one hour that I've ever done, I probably don't get into pregnancy until like eighty percent through the special. Um, yeah, I just didn't. I didn't uh, get in because I had. I had only been. I've been pregnant for seven months at the time, which, you know, in my stand-up career is is eleven years long. So, uh, so I actually didn't talk about it as much as you think. I talk a lot about my dirty dating past, actually. So you're going through that whole process to finally find Mr. Perfect and get married is part of that. It's definitely the challenge as well. What yeah. would you say nowadays that process compared to, uh, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago from what you've heard about and how crazy dating life is and what finding Mr. Right, you know? I mean, it was. It, for me, it was like I was lucky and I met him through um, friends at a wedding. But now, I mean, I don't understand how you find Mr. Right when there's like there's Tinder, which is like grinder for straight people. And then there's like, I mean, it's it's so easy for men to not commit now because yeah. they can basically just go and like find someone better looking. There's always that thirst, like who else is out there that I can sleep with? So it's like, you know, uh, but for me, like the finding Mr. Perfect part was, was great. It was the getting pregnant part that was uh, harder than I thought because I honestly had slept around a lot when I was younger and I had spent so much of my life trying to not get pregnant. And then as soon as I switched to wanting to get pregnant, it wasn't as easy as I think it, you know, it's not for a lot of women in their thirties and forties. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Look, like, at, I look mean, at Janet like, Jackson, fifty is pregnant. So you just never know. Yeah, I, Allie, I can't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be, so. Um, Go ahead. Sorry about that, Allie. Oh, sorry, I couldn't hear you. Yeah, so it's, it was, uh, so yeah, the special's a lot about that journey. I mean, I'm in a very unconventional profession that's very male-dominated, so all I ever really wanted was, like, a very, outside of, like, comedy, I really wanted, a, like, a traditional life. 
Exactly, and and that's and so finding that person. But you're so right about how it basically you can find anyone online now, and how people make themselves so available, and they're not thinking about settling down. They're thinking about having fun, and you definitely talk about that process. And then also you got you even if Mr. Wright is is around, Mr. Wright is going to be propositioned. And Mrs. Wright's going to be propositioned by thousands of people because of how easy it's not the bar scene anymore. Where, oh, yeah, we can really spot this person after three drinks that I don't want to hang out with them after tomorrow. Well, you can't spot that when how fake our uh, system is through social media and computers, who the real, really the person is. Right. And then the other thing that's hard, too, is that, like, a lot of guys now, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are still single in their 30s, and they're so, they're like, they've gotten so picky, you know, and I'm like, you got to let go of something, you know, you either have to let go of them, like, making money, or you have to let go of them having hair on their head, <laughs> and I'm like, just, just go for it, and I think it's better, you're, like, the gamble's better, just go for a dude who's going bald. Because you'll get a quality dude if if they're going bald, you know, at this age. Because it's like it's like getting a designer item of clothing on sale. Exactly, settle. Like in that one uh, one uh, thing from Saturday Night Live, that app called Settled. Or I forget what it was. It was funny. Where I settle for this person because of this reason. And, we have to in yeah. certain ways, but then Allie, I guess, in other countries, they're deciding who needs a man anymore, who needs anyone, who needs to get married. So traditional marriage is right. leaving other countries already, so who knows where we're going. Oh, I wanted marriage real bad because I wanted to trap the guy. <laughs> so you I could just go to your colleague thing? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to feel like his vows in front of all of the most important people in his life and hold him accountable so that he couldn't leave me when I brought out my true self after getting married. <laughs> That's so true. And I think that it really speaks to people, like your comedy special, again, that debuts today. It's available now on Netflix because what happens, Allie, is that uh, – Women are going to understand this. Men are going to understand these stories, and they're going to say, you know what, a lot of them, I guess, at what age do you think men and women look if they want to start settling down? What do you think it is now compared to the days when it used to be the 20s, meaning even though a lot of the students I taught in eighth grade, I'm, I'm really dating myself or now getting married. I'm like, okay. But we see uh, it depends on situations, right, family, circumstances, everything. Yeah, I think women start like really panicking at like 35 now and then probably maybe a little earlier and then I think men maybe not until they're like 37 38 yeah and I think it's literally because as a woman once you're 35 at these gyno appointments they start using the phrase high risk you know it's like I mean the clock is like it's literally ticking so but for dudes they can just they can like wait forever but the only sad part about it is they're already into their second marriage by 40 sometimes. Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so it just depends on your circumstances yeah. everything. And I think they definitely can't wait to check out your comedy special on Netflix. And, uh, and I'm sure you're excited about this. Platforms like this for your comedy career, it's going to help take it off even more, isn't it? having opportunities like this. I hope so. We'll see. I can't I can't go I mean, there's certain things I would like to say no to now and I have a kid to take care of. So yes, I hope that this special is a game changer. Well I know the comedy business is just like the days of the professional wrestling business I was in, meaning you go to these uh, very small venues sometimes and work every weekend and you're up different hours and to raise a kid that's a challenge for sure. Allie, I just followed you on Twitter. Where can we find you on Twitter and things like that so that you'll be tweeting out what's going on with your life and stuff? Where's the best place we can find info on you? I am at AllieWong3000, and my website is AllieWong.com. And, yes, you can, you can buy my special on Netflix. It's streaming today, starting today. 
Well, I'm excited to check it out, and I appreciate you coming on the show, Allie, and best of luck in your ventures. And uh, I definitely, you found the right brand in talking about pregnancy, to be pregnant and and being a stand-up comedian. That's got to be something that people are going to talk about. Wow, you're a hard worker, Allie. Best of luck with all of your ventures. Oh, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to the Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at Total Tutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Total Tutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Doodle Plus, also on Periscope, at Total Tutor. I'm excited to welcome the program, Irish Director of Rednecks and Cultures. I'm excited to welcome the program, Anthony Monahan. Anthony, thanks for calling, and how are you, man? Hi, man. How are you? Everything is going good. How are you? Fantastic, man. You know, and I was watching uh, the beginning of it, you know, like just like the uh, preparing for us what this documentary is going to be about. And, oh, my, is it, is it fascinating or what? Yeah, it's a great story. I put together myself and a few other guys, and it's uh, got a lot of recognition now all over the world. It seems to be hitting it big everywhere from the west of Ireland to the west of Australia and all over. So it's a big, it's a good, it's a success, really a big success. And we didn't think it'd be so big at the start. But nobody took on a story like this before, I guess, dealing with drugs and addiction and working with these people, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, it's just the background is it's fascinating with this. Tell us about your background and for how you came to the United States. Yeah, well, it's a little bit about where I come. It shows where an immigrant comes from. It uh, shows where uh, an immigrant comes from and uh, comes from the west of Ireland. I came from the... From London, I came from Ireland to London. I lived in London for a while, and then I was—I came out to the States to box. I used to box in London. I came out here to box, uh, be fighting, and I ended up actually uh, in an accident in New York, and I hurt my legs. And I decided uh, I was into construction then, and uh, I never really got back into boxing again. So I just took on construction to make a living then. Interesting. When you talk about the the boxing end of things, so you came to the United States to box. Were you a pretty successful boxer? Decide to come I was in? pretty good, yeah. I was, if I was in the right place at the right time, I, would, I think I'd have gone a long way. I don't know to the top. I don't know. You can never go back and guess yourself, you know. It's hard to, you know, because boxing is a tough game too, you know. It's hard to know, you know. I could have been lucky to be in the right place at the right time and if I had the right management behind me. I boxed in England and they're a little uh, hard to get the good fights over there. And they're a little, you know, you're Irish and you're still out, you know, you're still Irish in England back then. That's not that many years ago either. And you wouldn't get the fights or the recognition or the sponsorship that you want, you know. So I came to the U.S. and I started, uh, I thought it would be a different field, you know. And uh, well, when I came to the U.S. and it opened up my eyes to different situations in life because I lived in England. I didn't see much like, i never seen much of America. Seen little bits on TV, all that, but they didn't have much TV for I was growing up either. So I didn't watch much TV either ever. So I, I knew that America was a place for me as soon as I got there with the sunshine and the, the people were there. They were friendly, different. They looked at me differently, and they brought out a different Tony, you know. When I lived in England, it's like they're being Irish. They're like, it's like being, how should I say it here? It's uh, back in the 60s uh-huh. here, like the blacks and the whites or whatever you want to call it. It looked like there was a, there was a lot of prejudice there, you know. So when right, I came to right. the U.S., it was really good, you know. In that aspect of so, it. So it was good. It was good. So you felt welcome coming to the United States from England. Yeah, I found this was a so. place I could say I, I could succeed and be successful in. I and I liked the people and they liked me. You know, the feedback was good. You know, we had a great uh, camaraderie. You know, between us all. You know, so I knew that uh, this was a place for me. And I was sort of sorry I didn't come out sooner to it. But listen, you live and you learn. You know. Now, when you talk about England versus. Ireland, in so many ways, meaning the the that that kind of prejudice back and forth. That's what made it hard to live there. In the fact that people just didn't like I, the English, really didn't like the Irish. The Protestants really didn't like the Irish, and the Irish really didn't like the Protestants. And it's still like this today, isn't it? Well, it's not like we don't like each other. It's a lot of it has to do with. Uh... The same as over here, like, or the same everywhere else, the property and, and, like, Northern Ireland is a pretty valuable place. That's probably why I don't think because we're Protestants and Catholics that we don't like each other. I think it's more or less the hierarchy that's, like, they manage the situation and they more or less put us, uh, put us uh, 
you know, treated, treated like they're treated like a, a second-class citizen sometimes, just because you're Irish. And all the media went along, and they, you know, they, when the bombings were done in Birmingham and all over the, all over, right. uh, and like they blamed one man got all the blame. Everybody was a terrorist. You know what I mean? So that was on. I think that was unfair to a lot of the Irish, because a lot of the Irish are really good, hard-working people and successful, and uh, most of them that I know are peace-loving people, too, the most Irish people. Because uh, here in America, we have achieved the greatest. We've climbed to the top in politics and war, you know, in the Civil War and all that. It's all Irish names. Are, are, was all came out as good leaders. You know, we had really good genes in us to be successful and uh, be straightforward people. So I think... Uh, being in England was tough for me, and, and actually for the people that came before me, it was a lot tougher. But I got the back into the, you know, you know, that's the way that they, you know, sometimes the police would pull you over for just stupid stuff and make jokes about you and whatever. And it was like, uh, we're in their country and they let us know. And then the people went on to pretty much back them and all. You know, when you hear a rumor, it's very hard to put it back in the box, you know. Right. So. So you were welcomed in the United States. You were a boxer, then you got injured, and then you said, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. That process yeah, I, I always worked for myself, pretty much. I was always wheeling and dealing for myself, even in England. And I came out here, and I had, uh, you know, I just liked I was good at construction. I was a good worker, and I had all the qualities, you know, to make it here. Like, you know, I drank when I came here first, and I eventually gave up drinking because I thought it wasn't working out for me, you know. I thought... right. I thought it was better, you know, I didn't want to end up like one of these old guys with a sad story saying I could have been this and I could have been that. I said, listen, now it's my time to prove myself I'm, while I'm young and see what I've got, you know. If you're a good horse, you'll make it around the track, you know. Gotcha. So you, you've always been an entrepreneur, had an entrepreneurial mindset. But coming to the States and then deciding I'm going to work for myself in another way, not boxing anymore, how did you kind of establish your business, get it going, especially not being an American, and, and gain the trust of the Americans. Yeah, well, I'd always, uh, I came to America, actually, then I wanted to see America, so I traveled all through America. I lived all over the place, from uh, from Miami to L.A., New York. I've been there. I've been in, LA in every state. I've lived all over the place, and I met different people. I liked, uh, when I didn't successfully become a boxer, I decided then I'd see America and see all the good and bad about it, and just, you know, because a lot of Irish go out to one city and they stay in one town like New York. A lot of them used to go to the Bronx and they'd stay in that neighborhood all their life. So I said, I'm not going to be a, you know, live that kind of life. I'm going to travel, have adventures. And I do, I done all that. I traveled. I bought a motorhome. I traveled through the country. I loved it. I, you know, and then I traveled the most to Europe, too. I lived on, what, 10 different countries in Europe. Like, you know, I, I just wanted to see the world for a while, you know. And then I had some kids and then... I say to myself, I can't be living out of a suitcase, so I sort of settled down a little bit, you know, and just, you know, I thought I wanted to see life as it was. You know, I, I knew my daughter wanted security, so I settled down and started making money, and one thing led to another, and I ended up uh, marrying a woman, meeting a woman from New York, in New York, my ex-wife now, and she was from St. Louis, so eventually we ended up settling back in St. Louis after a lot of rambling through the country. And, so you start, uh, that's when you started your construction business in St. Louis, sir. Well, I've always been doing construction. I've always worked for myself. I've always doing jobs all over the place, like in California, Miami. I've always oh, wow. worked for okay. myself. I've always been doing that kind of work, you know, because I grew up doing construction at home. Like it was like, a, you know, it was you'd help people out or whatever. I've done it in London, too. You know, a friend of mine taught me how to be a plaster, and that was a good profession. So I uh, I lived there. Like, uh, till I learned the trade, and then I came here pretty much. I could always work for myself, and I was a good wheeler and dealer, you know what I mean? I could, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, you see you see the rough cut before the documentary, just like kind of learning a little bit about yeah, well, you I, and your when family. When I was making yeah. the, yeah. talk about the documentary, when I was making the documentary, yeah. trying to get the documentary put together, like from my background, I don't really have any uh, formal education. I only schooled for four years ever, which I, never held me back. I'm not blaming anybody for it. It's just the way it was in the west of Ireland. Then the teachers would, the teachers were like, uh, it was like the Wild West going to school. You know what I mean? It makes me sound like I'm 100 years ago, but Ireland has only changed in the last 20 years to the way it used to be and how it is now. And uh, so it sounds like I'm talking about hundreds of years ago. I'm only going back not that long ago. And Ireland, you know, being poor in the west of Ireland was being poor, you know. I come from 11 kids, so 
we just had to survive the best way we can. And I wasn't the only kid to immigrate at 15. A lot of my neighbors were going to England and doing the same thing at the same age. So it was like once you could get up and running, you were out the door to another country. Gotcha. So, but making the documentary anyways, uh, I went around all the places and then, you know, mostly in Midwest here and I tried to get help. And everyone said to me, like, you know, they all listened to me, like, for a while and said, you know, they humored me and listened to me, like, when I come in and talk on these little, they'd have these little uh, get-togethers about making films and I'd go there and see, can I get some help and some backup? And they listened to me like I was the gorilla in the room. But I, I could see when I was halfway through the conversation, I'd look up for cameramen or stuff like that and editing people and people with equipment. I knew that they were not going to, you know, they weren't going to help me because this guy, this guy has to go through the hard knocks, like, and I say, I say sometimes, you know, you don't have to do all this stuff. You know, if you got a good story, that's all that matters. And put it up like a, yeah. a good writer. A good writer has to live before he writes a book. So I had all the stuff. I had lived more than anybody, any room I was ever in. I had, more ex- yeah. I had more experiences with life than 99% of the people. I've, had, I've seen the good, the bad. You know, I've been broke. I've been up. I've been homeless. I've been, you know, in situations, in jail, out of jail, whatever you want to call it. I've been there. I've done that. And I know I had the stories in my head. But a lot of people don't realize that they think that you have to go through all this college degrees to get, get, get this stuff. And I think most of it, like I tell my daughters now, which are all going to college, I say common okay. sense is the best thing to have. If you don't have common sense, it's, it's, otherwise life is going to be very difficult for you. So I always try to say to them, I don't care how smart your books and all that. As long as you've got common sense, it means a lot. I've got three daughters, Tony, Ursula, and Kira. And uh, if you've got common sense, you can talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime. Education is great to have. It's great to have book knowledge. But, I mean, if you don't have common sense, it's really impossible to deal with someone, you know? What's the like about spoiling the whole documentary? Basically, you're learning about your family life, how you're wheeling and dealing in St. Louis, and, and, and just basically how your culture becomes part of St. Louis in a way. Right. Yeah, well, it comes here as a, like the immigrant story comes here, like the immigrant and uh, or an immigrant coming from any place, any part of the world. Yeah. People think they go to America, their family, that they're going to meet like the cream of the crop. Now, that's that's true sometimes. And sometimes it's, it's really not. In my case, it was. And I met the I met the most craziest guys you could think in, in St. Louis here. But I dealt with them because I had to make a living here because my daughters are here and, I, and my family was here. So. I had to survive, and I had to deal with these guys. But I found that they were really unusual for for any place I've been to meet or bunch them together. Like, one was more crazier than the other. So I said, I was telling my, my friends in Ireland when I'd be drinking. I used to drink for a while. And I'd tell them about these yeah. guys, and they say, you know, are you sure you're not drunk or you're insane still? Because this stuff doesn't make any sense. So I just kept my mouth then closed after a few embarrassing moments, and I just said, you know, when I get a little bit of money and stuff, I'll put this. I'll 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 make a I'll make a story about this, and I'll be able to tell the rest of the world these people do exist, and people have to deal with them, and people have to work with them, and they're in our environment, and they're they're people we meet in the stores, they're people we meet every day, but till now nobody I think had made a story about them. You know, the 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 American workers are a different breed of people than what I have ever met. You know, I've never met. I didn't know. I don't know much about drugs or drink or any of that stuff. Well, I drink, I do, yeah. But I mean, I grew up in a yeah. culture of drink, drunks, I should say, or Irish guys. But I never seen the 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 American working man and the how he's addicted to drugs and all that stuff. And to deal with them guys, it's not an easy thing to do. Now right. people are all so, tapping me on the back now, saying, "Oh, you done a great story, yeah." But before, no one would come near me. I was like the joke in in the Midwest when I told I was making a film. And that was a joke in Ireland because they said, this guy, you never get any education, you can never do that. I said, I've always stepped out of my field. I said, I said I've, I've always been in a different, uh, uh, against the odds anyway. So I always, what did I care? Rejection makes me stronger, I always say. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. some people, it's rejection very, very, makes them weak. But I was, when I was a kid, I was. People get rejected. Now, you're right, yeah. Anthony, the people that get rejected are the ones that can give up, are the ones that aren't successful, the ones that. One to say reject, to say, well, I'm going to go to the next person. Someone told me no. The next person's not going to tell me no. I'm going to keep striving. Yeah. That's what you did. This is your dream to film make. So in the documentary, you're really looking at American workers in your company and dealing with people in your business. 
over a, just seeing that kind of mesh between an immigrants and Americans in St. Louis, then, right? Is that pretty much what we're seeing in this documentary? Yeah, well, it's, it's mostly like from my perspective, how I look at them and how they look at me. It's like right. we both have to live on the same planet. We both have to do to work together. And a lot of people are afraid where I took a lot. I put a lot on the line for this. And even now my business is getting affected a little bit by it. Because I told a story that nobody else would wanted to tell because these people are everywhere. They're not in my company. I didn't go out of my way and say, if you're addicted to drugs, call Tony. He'll, he'll hire you. It, they're everywhere. Mostly, mostly in America, they're pretty much everywhere. Maybe not as bad as an extreme case as I, I have found in this pocket here. Maybe we're landlocked here or something. But, uh, right. but there always seem to be the characters I met here seem to be really un- unique because they live from they're living from hand to mouth sometimes. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. but their problems are the problems they have. They're all created by themselves, ninety-five percent of the time, ninety hundred percent of the time, because they're doing stuff they shouldn't do, and they live every day like it's their last day. And these are grown men. These are not these are not twenty-year-old kids, like I say. No. These are men who's who's got wives and good. Came from really good background families. They came from really. They could be musicians, you know. They, they've gone. They've had beautiful ladies in their life. They've had beautiful children. They've had everything going great for them, and they just threw it away for this addiction. And and I, it bazzles me sometimes. Like, how could a man do? How could a man do this for a drug? And it must. I. It makes me more scared of drugs now because I say that these drugs are more powerful than than anything. They're more powerful than their their own being these people and and that's that's something to uh you know to bring the forefront about people if you go on these drugs this is probably how you'll end up if you're lucky you know so to me that's exactly the fast life leads to drugs and leads to different things and then the addiction comes and then it's too late and it's a sad life to have because these are not bad yeah. people these are good people i didn't go to my way to mock these people or joke them i i feel sorry for them sometimes i've even if you if you look at my documentary I've even put some of them up in my house. I've helped them out, and they're not bad guys. It's just their lives are so far gone they can't seem to get it back. And they try, but do they not? Do they try hard enough? I don't know. But it, it's a sad, uh, it's sad to see a, a fully grown man and no money at him. And it's like today is his first day on the planet. Like I say to them sometimes, how could you end up here? How could you, you know, yeah. you get caught a few times when for a for a, a grown man to behave like a a kid that left school. Actually, if a kid left school, he probably would have more than some of them sometimes. So it, it bewilders me. So I had to do this documentary because it was like if people say to me, why did you do it? Well, it's like a fish. Why does he have to swim up river, a salmon? It's in my, it was, I had to do it. So I, I put myself together. I got two good guys to work with me. And uh, they're from the unique characters too, actually. One of them is a, Elliot Gillette. He's a, he's a, he dances in the St. Louis Ballet. He's actually the main dancer. Another guy is called Chris Gibbs. And he's an unusual character too because when I met him first, I thought he was drunk, but he was a paralegic for a year, and uh, he done all the, he shot all the films. So he was, I mean, we're a unique team to get together. But we 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 have pulled it off, and the story behind the story is even as interesting as the story itself. You know, it uh, is. I mean, the story, your, just your story alone is interesting. Add the components of your workers, and add the addiction to the mix, and you basically have something very very powerful. So how has the, your documentary been received, Anthony? Yeah, well, how has it been received? Selling off the, sh- selling off the shelves on uh, the DVDs. They can't keep them in stock. And their uh, Amazon, Google, it's been selling out big Fantastic. time. So, so far all over the world, it's, it's, they love it. Everyone, is, everyone wants to see it. Everyone wants to talk about it. They're all blogging about it. So it's, it's an amazing story that I could do it for a guy that never went to school because as I said before, when I was going to school, my teacher you said to me I was so stupid I couldn't teach. I was re- I was a reject in the school. I was a joke of the school, you know. So to come from that background alone, I always said I, you know, it's quite an achievement for anybody to do, you know, because I didn't go to Harvard or these fancy schools or all. The, right. We made a film with a, with a little bit of money we begged and borrowed. I put together, and it's as good as a fifty fifty million dollar film that guys can't have all the professionals and they can't they can't even get anybody right. to watch their film. Have you gotten a lot and of awards? And another this? thing I've done that I've given like a, oh, so, yeah, sorry, Heather. I was I've given like a twenty percent of my uh, 
profits to a charity here in St. Louis, which I always want to give oh, something back. Just, and I, I say, how many awards have you gotten, to Anthony, from this documentary? You said it's going off the shelf, it's doing really well. Have you gotten awards from different awards? Things? In what aspect? Well, we've got awards like that that people love to watch it, and uh, we've got great reviews. Like the reviews are amazing. That's fantastic. And, uh, okay, we've so been in a few film festivals here, but I don't really take much heed of the film festivals. I always say, it's if the individual likes it, that's what's most important. Because I think this, I think that uh, most of these people will go to the bar or they'll go to work and there'll be one on a train someday and they say, I I seen this unusual movie. You should watch it. That's how I think people are going to see it, and they're going <laughs> to and they're going to look back in a few in a years time and, and say to yourself, well, that's what he meant in the story. He meant that. I put stuff in there like. That when you look back on it, it could take you. You won't get the concept right away of what I'm talking about. It could be a month later, or it could be six <laughs> months later, or then you could look at it three different ways, and it could mean three different meanings. And you'd be saying to yourself, "Well, what did he really mean?" So I put a lot of that stuff in there, to for people to feel feed their own imagination, and which way would they decide, or which way do they think that 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 guy's life should have gone, or situations like that, you know? Do you see? Do you see yourself? This, this family and your business be a reality show someday? Do you see it going any other direction, not just the documentary, but have a story going? a lot of to do that kind of stuff, but I just wouldn't want to sell myself out or, or being Irish. I would just don't want to rush into anything like that because I wouldn't... I see a lot of them uh, reality TV shows and they're like a joke, you know? And that's why I said to my daughter one day we were watching uh, something like The Gypsy Wedding. It's like a joke. Like It's like... To me, it's... We're only la- as you as humans, we're only laughing about ourselves. We're entertaining ourselves on our own, on our own stupidity. Right. You know? not so I, I think money. I wouldn't want to do yeah, anything right. like that. If I got a good, I got offers of stuff, but if I don't get something really good, I won't sell myself out because I didn't make this documentary for money, anyways. I made it for, for a story. You know, I mean, if I want to, yeah, if I want money that bad, I rob a bank. You know what I mean? I just don't want to. <laughs> So I don't. I, don't, I wouldn't tell myself about that either. You know stuff. what I mean? I never have. I've never gone out a back door in my life. So I made a story right. for about these people as humans and how they are, how we all function together and with drugs and being sober myself. And it's all us. We're all entangled in American society. And I made a story that people would see us as takers. And and these guys that I made the documentary, but I didn't make them make it to make them look bad. I made them look at the, they're humans. I needed. I think that the blue-collar worker has got no respect in the last maybe 20 or 30 years. That could be a lot of it. The economy is right. bad. Right. Exactly. Society casts away. Nobody, everyone loves the great work they do, but nobody wants to invite them for dinner. You're, and you're then they it. start, uh, because the blue-collar people built this country. They were the workers. They, were the, they left these amazing buildings in all big cities after us. They built all Detroit up, New York. I mean, these are the guys that we, everyone owes a lot to like the beautiful houses they left behind them and all the great work. Right. But that took a lot of sweat and, you know, a lot of a lot of sweat and tears, I guess, to build this, these monuments and buildings. Do you, so, and do you the see economy collapsed. Yeah. I'm going to do another documentary, off. one more, and then I might, uh, you know, I might leave my, I got a few other things I might plan down the road, like, you know, I'm going to do one more documentary in Ireland about, uh, it's more or less like where I came from and, uh, Another chapter of a, an immigrant story, more or less, leaving and uh, going back to see how things have changed a little bit and how people perspective now ah. and how the old Irish. I'm not that old, but I'm not young. I mean, I'm in <laughs> yeah. my 40s, so I mean, uh, I'm to say that. Go, uh, well, I'd like to do a story on how we, where I was, and where we left, and we gained a lot in Ireland, but we have really lost a lot too. We lost a lot of our culture. We lost a lot of our traditions. Right. And the young ones, the young people hate, they hate God, they hate their parents, they hate the land, they hate everything. Oh, my. Do they you don't see really yourself stand for anything. directing other oh. stuff, not just for yourself? Do you see Pardon? yourself being an artist and a film director that directs other types of projects because you like being involved in film, not just your family story and your story? Do you see yourself Yeah, well, I just did the story was a one-off thing. I didn't intend to go into film because I, the reason I went and done it because I wouldn't get anyone else to do it for me. But I think I could do another good one, or maybe there could be ten of me. I don't know. But I just take it a, you know, I just take it a one day at a time, you know, at the moment, and just just see where it goes. Well, congratulations because, uh, to the success. I'm very well, the uh, success. excited for you. I I appreciate that. That's all all good stuff coming from it now. You know, for uh, for for three or four 
Like if three, two or three years ago, everybody was laughing about us, and now we're the host of a lot of places. And it'll bring a story out that I think should have been told a long time ago about people, by working class, blue-collar guys. They're the guys that made America. They're the guys, not the Wall Street guys who conned and ended up with the big yachts and boats and lived under, you know, in Miami. We're on about the, the working class guys from the Midwest, all over America. They're the guys who made America great. Not, not the, they're the guys who put America on the map. Not the, not we, the. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. Absolutely. No, can we purchase it on? Uh, where can we? You can buy it, it on. On Google Plus, there's about 10 different distributors, and you can screen it in online, uh, screen it to your computer, too, or your your TV. So it's easy enough to get access to it, you know. It's, so best place uh, to find information on you, where can we go? Pardon? Find info on you. Where can we find information on you in, in, in the film? Where can we go? Oh, yeah, go to more info. Go to manhuntproductions.com. Manhuntproductions.com. Okay. All the information there is on me. All the stuff, like the articles I've done in the Huffington Post, Slant, and I've done a lot of big articles on some stuff on Ireland, uh, major Irish papers, and all that stuff there. And my last name is Monaghan, M-O-N-A-G-H-A-N. My first name is, you know, it's Monaghan Productions. And the, wow. st- and the documentary is called Rednecks and Cultures. And... Uh, Modernproductions.com. So they should be able to find it easy enough. All the information is there about me. And also, do you have any social media? Like a Facebook And I got a blog, or... too. Sorry? Yeah, you have a blog, too. Awesome. Fantastic. Just yeah. Connect with you there. But, I mean, I just watched just like the uh, just the intro to this, and I'm like intrigued by it already. The family, everything. And I see why people would want to put it on reality, but why would you do that when you can own all the rights to this? And that you're the smartest person. Because why would well, you that's go true too. Well, I, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, I was lucky that it worked out that way at the end, you know. Because if I wasn't persistent, the story the story wouldn't have come out, you know. And well, I wonder about me. I mightn't be the smartest in the world, but I'm sure I'm headstrong. <laughs> you're an entrepreneur. You saw you're not going to I took a lot of blows, you know. Endless. Exactly, but it sounds like a great story, and I appreciate you calling, and best of luck to you. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. So uh, thanks a lot. Take care. All right, see you later. I'll see you. Thank okay, you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at Total Tutor. Uh, Neil Hess Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Total Tutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, Google Plus, and also on Periscope, at Total Tutor. I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity, Madeline Coughlin. Uh Madeline, thanks for calling, and how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How about you? Fantastic, Madeline. I tell you, you know, uh, I was uh, checking out one of your YouTube interviews and different things or for television interviews and stuff like that, and uh, you got to be really, really excited about the Tribeca film and uh, the, the success it's had and uh, the opportunity that you had. Am I? Do I agree? Do you agree? Yeah, it's been really crazy too. Just because going into the project, we really, we really just didn't know what would what would come of it. We were just kind of all excited, and then everything happened so fast with Tribeca and all of that. That's what happens when you get involved in these things, right? Independent film, you know, you're trying to get some more experience, more work, especially you get have, have had certain roles in your career, but yet a, a bigger role like this, and you say, hey, I'm going to go for this, right? And audition, and you just never know where these where these uh, films go, do you? Exactly. You're excited about it at first, which is, it's, you don't always get that opportunity to just be excited about a role and then kind of just go into a blind. Yeah, so tell us specifically this process. Once you heard about this, the story, for sure. Of how I got this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I so my I got the audition from my, from my agent, and I I thought it was a really unique description of it too because my character doesn't speak. That they had given a, a monologue with her backstory and kind of her motives about what, you know, makes her the way she is. And so I went in and read that as if uh, as if she spoke using that. And then that's kind of how I uh, was able to get, in, get into character because I knew who she was, even right. though she wouldn't actually have any dialogue. 
And and that's the interesting thing. So how do you kind of prepare for that, right? And I have no dialogue, but I'm have a big role, and I I have to go in here and be the right look, right feel, all that stuff, right? And character act without talking. That's got to be challenging. Yeah, it was. It was a little bit. I was nervous. It was. I mean, it's the first time I'd ever had to do something like that. But I was also really excited because I knew I would just have to rely on like you know, physicality and body language and using my facial expressions to convey, like, so many complexities because this wasn't just, like, a happy-go-lucky teenager either. This was someone who was clearly troubled and had a lot going on. (laughs) Definitely, definitely uh, troubled to have a lot going on. And when you were describing auditioning for this, uh, how much preparation they give you? Give us that kind of story. I never asked that. You know, you find out uh, your agent tells you they have a possible role. How much time do you have to prepare for this to understand a little bit what they're looking for before you audition? I had a couple days for this. That's good, for sure. So, not too long. It was uh, all very fast. And then, you know, had to go in. And did you have any idea how that would be, the audition process, and that you were going to have a character that was silent and that it was you're going to be the way you act without talking to get this role? I, I mean, I just, I knew that I had the, the monologue that they had written, but just for the audition. So I, I knew she wouldn't wouldn't talk in the movie, but I was just kind of, working on that monologue going in because I knew that that would be the, I mean, they would be able to tell if I was a character, by the way, I was able to read the monologue. Interesting. Okay. All right. So let's, let's go into that. Once you get there, did you think, Oh, I'm going to get this part or you're like, uh, I don't know, especially something new to me like this where I'm not speaking. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because I've always kind of gravitated towards dark. So I was actually, I was really excited about it because I was like, okay, even though she is a different kind of tactic acting wise, it's a similar character to one that I really enjoy. So I was excited about that. But at the same time, like there's, you know, I mean, there's so many things you can't control. So I just, I was just trying to go in and, see if I could convey the character the best that I could to see what would happen. And conveying that character is an interesting thing, uh, for sure. And then once you find out you get the part, I'm sure you're enthused, you're excited, you're like, wow. And uh, what once you have it, how much preparation, what kind of preparation did you do before filming? Once you knew you had the role, how much time did you have? Uh, did you start watching some more horror films and stuff like that? Because I was watching the one interview you talked about. You were not really into horror growing up, so. <laughs> I... Yeah, I I wasn't too much into horror growing up. I watched uh, my my director's uh, film that they had done before this, Starry Eyes. So I watched that to kind of see the style and get get more into because you know they had. It wasn't just about gore and shock value, so it was a very specific type of horror film, too. So I tried to make sure I had a good grasp on that and then sort of figuring out how I would, you know, reading the script, because I just got, you know, the monologue before I didn't have a, a whole script. So reading the script and being able to, I guess, really understand her more and understand and follow her life. So knowing exactly what happened to her really... It was interesting. I find it it very, very very interesting for sure. So tell us about your character. I was listening to this, and I'm glad I was getting some background. I'm like, okay, let me check out uh, an interview, and then I was starting to hear about this. I'm like, wow, this this sounds really scary and something I'd want to watch. My wife wouldn't, but I I really would because I'm into this for sure. I'm I'm a huge horror fan back, and I miss the days of horror films of uh, Freddy, of... Jason of uh, Michael oh, Myers. Like I love the intense. I love the fact that you're thinking about it and then you're not this kind of days now of, you know, it's so gory so quickly that you don't have any time to really get scared. You know what I mean? And so this definitely seems yeah. like it's back to the genre days, of the kind of horror film I like. Definitely. Exactly. And it's, I mean, since it's an anthology film, you, they have to, they have to make you care about the characters pretty fast as well because they're 
eight different short stories within the film. Right. So they have to do that whole arc while at the same time not just throwing you in the face with the gore and the horror right away. So again, the the, the horror film's called Holidays, and the holiday you portrayed is an interesting one that a lot of people uh, cry about at times, right? <laughs> De- definitely. I, I think there's been a lot of people who had some tears cried over a Valentine's yes, Day. Yes, yes. Or it's been a horror to, to figure out what to get your significant other that day. So, you know. Exactly. And then you just call it Singles Awareness Day and, you know, call yeah. it a night. Exactly. So tell us about that. The, the, my, the, yeah. my, well, my character is, she's definitely, it's been, she's been compared a lot to Carrie, that she's the school. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.